All right. Happy New Year. It's Rochelle and Carter, Carter here. Carter, we're doing this wrong. What? That's the wrong music to play. That's the wrong music? What do you, you mean? You know the music. Ah. Do you know the words to the song? No, I know Auld Lang Syne, and that is literally it. Oh, should old acquaintance be forgot and never far too. Do you know the words, Rochelle? <laughs> I start singing Grand Old Flag because it's kind of the same tune. There's a giant age difference between Carter and myself, but I think I have even proven there's a giant age difference between myself and anyone who knows all of the Uh, words to that song. That is a very, very good point. Um, Welcome to the new year. This is the podcast where we uh, talk about uh, stuff we're going through biblically. Like, what are we going through in life? What is a part of our, quote, quiet time? And sometimes your quiet time can involve music. Now, I think there was a point in time in my life somewhere where the the elders in the church would have questioned whether or not this kind of song would be working in the quiet time. Yeah, I don't know if that is a quiet time song or not. But you know what? <laughs> My brother is one who can testify to the music of Skillet um, that it has blessed him richly. Mm-hmm. And John Cooper, we're honored to have this guy today. Yeah, he uh, is uh, this conversation that we're having in honor of his new book, Awake and Alive to Truth. Uh, it's a really great year starter, quite frankly. If you want to be a little more bold in your faith of whatever that looks like for 2021, John is full of boldness. John is full of boldness. And you know what? I think he'd be the first to admit he absolutely would enjoy your prayers. I mean, keeping these guys in mind, Praying over the artists that every single day put their best foot forward in faith Mm -hmm. and trust that it's going to land in the hearts of people who maybe would never have given Jesus a second thought before, but they hear his kind of music and they're like, what is this? So enjoy this conversation with John Cooper of Skillet. Let's get into why we're jealous of you. Um, (laughs) And it's because uh, our jingle sounds like this for the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Okay. I mean, that's it's bounty. That's nice. It's, it's not, flouncy. You know, it's it's fun, special. Fun, 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 this fun. is what Cooper Stuff's podcast sounds like. Oh, wow. oh, that's really Cooper good. Stuff. That is cool, <laughs> dude. That is really cool. You know, whenever I wanted to so run funny. a nine minute mile, I'd put on skillet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah, yeah. I never did it. You never did the nine-minute mile? It was more like 11. But I really got close because of your music, so I'm I'm very appreciative. That's so great to hear. I love to hear that. Uh, Well, the the new book, obviously, you have the podcast Cooper Stuff, and Awake and Alive to Truth is you get into a lot of, like, you're you're not afraid to say it on the podcast, or I assume in the book, too. Um, You have been in, um, we'll get right into the rock scene. I know you mentioned just living for Christ in a, a, a scene where you've been on mainstream tours, and we'll get into some of the content that you're willing to speak on, but in being in the world and not of it, how have you navigated not pressing too hard and being that Christian guy that seems judgy, but being an authentic and yet bold person for Christ when you're with these mainstream rock bands? Oh, wow. That is a great question. You know, I would say that that is the, I think that that is the balance for, for Christians in general, isn't it? It's that we are supposed to be telling the truth of the world and love, of course. And at the same time, we are to realize that, We can't judge people that that don't know Christ because we can't make them have revelation. (laughs) You know, we can't we can't be responsible for revealing anything. How can you hold someone responsible uh, 
for not living as a new creation when they are not a new creation. They are just living according to the flesh. It's natural. And so Christ, of course, calls us Christians to be new creation and now to live supernaturally. And, and I think that's kind of an amazing thing about Scripture. So for me, I have to remind myself, these are my friends, like when I'm touring with non-Christians or hanging out with, I mean, most of the people that work for me, uh, not my band members, but my crew, most of the people that work for me are not Christians. Some are uh, agnostic, some are devout atheists, to be honest. And I just remind myself, these are my friends, these are people that I love, they don't have the privilege of knowing Christ, so I can't hold them accountable to my to biblical standards, but I really want them to know Christ, because he is the answer, and he will set them free. So for me, it's an issue of of telling the truth in love, not backing down from that. And I guess what I would say to encourage Christians listening is, if we really want an example of how to do that, then who do we look to? Of course, we look to Jesus himself, and we look to a Jesus that hung out with sinners. I love that story, uh, Zacchaeus. I just love the story. Zacchaeus is a guy that people really hated. <laughs> I mean, he's just like yeah. a He's a, a thieving tax collector. And Jesus says, what are you doing up in the tree? Come down. Can I come have dinner at your house? And he invites himself over and he hangs out with sinners. But Jesus says, I mean, Jesus tells people the truth. I mean, Jesus is the same, the, the, the same guy that not only says, I want to come hang out with you at your house, but he's the guy that says, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, it would be better to pluck it out than to be thrown into hell. So I think that that's who we have to look to. We have to tell the truth in love, but we have to remember that if people don't have, if they're not born of the spirit, then that means they are born of the flesh and they're going to act like it. So let me ask you, obviously you have a heart for people um, who may not, uh, listen, God has gifted you in a way that you can touch the lives of people who are not even interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ because they, they, well, but I heard that song and it was really great. So there are people, though, in your life, obviously, who do know the Lord. And let's turn the tables a little bit. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat these folks over here with kid gloves in a good way because I want to I make sure that I'm being an example as to what Christ can be. He is freedom. He is all of these amazing things. What about those in your life who already know Jesus, who already have a relationship? Are you a little harder on them? I know you're still walking in love, but do you, like, call them out? How, what's the difference there? <laughs> You guys are touching on really good stuff. I love it because, you know, I do think that there is a problem. I, I kind of think it just becomes, it, it comes from us not really uh, pressing into the word as we ought. And, I, and we're all, obviously, we're all guilty of that. Um, but I do think that there's a difference because every time you, you come out and say something, you know, like, for instance, just recently, uh, I can't remember the name of the pastor that Carl, came out. Carl Lenz. Yeah, I just listened to that yeah. episode last night of you talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, come out and, 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 you know, he's not been faithful in his marriage. And, and so, obviously, we have to come out against that. Yeah. Not that we hate somebody. Sure. Not, that we, not that we don't want them to be restored. We do want them to be restored. But it doesn't mean that, that we can't call, call things out for what they are. And so sometimes Christians can say, hey, you're not supposed to judge anybody, but, and, you know, yada, yada. But I think that the, the difference is this. We know that, that there is a different standard for those who are in the faith. We are all one body. And so whereas you can't look at a, at a non-believer 
and expect them to act like a new creation, you, we should look at fellow believers and expect each other to act like a new creation. Uh, and, and a new creation that, of course, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to do dumb stuff. We're going to, we're going to do nasty stuff sometimes. But it doesn't mean that we, we lower the standard just because we understand that, that people mess up. So I do think that that's different. And I don't think we should be mean. I think we should be full of grace. But I think we got to find that balance of being full of grace and absolutely not compromising. And I mean, I think that's a hard thing to do. But I think we have to hold the standard and hold to grace. John, the the way that I kind of uh, imagine it, if if this is between you and really two other people, because I think I think people might hear you talk about like a Carl Lentz situation or whatever it is, and it's like, hey, you're not being loving enough, you're being harsh, and yet I I think of it like if you were talking to somebody that's messed up. That's that's actually, you know, sinned and, and you know, ruined a ministry or whatever you are in that moment to that person going to be loving and you're going to say, hey, I've messed up, too. Um, I'm there with you because you're my friend. If this is the situation where you know them. But what you're you're speaking against on your podcast and we'll get to specifically your thoughts, you know, from the book is you're kind of talking to that friend of the person who messed up. That friend that comes along and goes, it's okay. It's really not that bad. Like everybody does a little something, you know, that's kind of what you're, uh, what I feel you're and and rightly so to me, your aggravation is with. You know what? You're absolutely right. And I'm glad you said that because to tell you the truth, I've done so many interviews. I forgot what I talked about on that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. That is what really bothers me. And, And I think that, because of social media, it's really changed the way that we, literally, the way that we think. And I, and I mean that in really, in, in every aspect that that sentence can mean. It has changed the way our brains work. It changes the way that we view uh, even just reality and friendship and all those things. So I do think, A, let's just say that someone in my church has an affair. I don't go onto social media and start writing about my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that, that's a, that is a private matter, and that is within the local body, and that's how things used to work. It doesn't mean that, that, I, that we don't hold it to a standard, but you're dealing with people's brokenness and broken lives, and you have grace for people. The difference with social media is that it has made the private public, and a lot of times people, don't, people post on social media, and it's obviously public. But in their minds, it's private. And, and I don't understand that. But it, it, it's almost like they go on uh, onto public social media and they say a whole bunch of bad things about Christ. And then somebody like me <laughs> responds publicly on social media and says they shouldn't be doing that. And here's the reasons they're wrong. And then the very person that made the initial post will say about me if you were really a brother in Christ, you would have said that to me privately. Mm. You see what I'm saying? It's very strange. I'm like, no, no, you are making a public statement against God. I don't know you. We don't have a personal relationship. I've never even met you before. You're making a public statement. So now it requires a public rebuttal. So it's almost like people keep mixing up all of the different boxes. And so what I was responding to that made me really upset about the Carl Lentz thing was the fact that so many Christians were like, 
Carl, thank you so much for your bravery in speaking up about this. You're a legend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? why is this brave? I, I have no earthly idea how you can say this is brave after someone has just devastated his family, devastated his wife. I, can't, I cannot imagine what that is like to be a spouse or a child of this. And then to see Christians come on and say that you're brave because you admitted it after you got busted. I just think Christians, I think we're really missing the boat of what it means to be saved, what it means to live the Christian life, what it means uh, to hold a standard, and uh, all of this is stuff that really bothers me. So you're right. That is what I was responding to. Would there be a proper response, in your opinion, on a social media platform to a story like this coming out? Um, And what would it be for you? Oh, gosh. To tell you the truth, I, I... me personally, probably because of my age, <laughs> I, probably because of my age, I, I, I don't know how other people would respond. There's no way, personally, and I'm not saying this to beat up, honestly, on Carl or anybody else. There's no way that I could ever like, you know, like when you do the heart on Instagram sure. or mm-hmm. whatever. There's no way that I could like a post of someone telling me how they cheated on their spouse. I, I don't understand how that works. Now, I do understand that for some people, maybe the like just means that they read it or something. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I don't really know what to say. And the mm-hmm. idea, the idea that we're not allowed to be angry is, is just really silly because what, what, when someone on a public platform that is an ambassador of Christ in a public way, when they fall, it, it does affect all of us. I'm sorry. It does. That, that's something that should be obvious, you know? So I guess for me, I I wouldn't go on there and start beating up on somebody or yelling at anybody. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is this kind of false, there's a certain kind of falseness that's happening in Christianity, which is this, everybody messes up and we're for you and you're amazing. And I'm a little bit like, "Eh," you know, (laughs) I hear you, I hear you, but, but it's okay to be upset. This is pretty bad stuff, and let's let's don't paper over it like it's not. That makes sense. Uh, it does make sense. I, I overall in the book Awaken Alive. I mean, I love the the last tagline. God wants to rescue you from the chaos of where we're at right now in society uh, and the darkness, and bring you into His glorious light. What is the first step of a hopeful venture with this when everybody? It's kind of moral subjectivism. It's just whatever I feel is right. And that's who I'm meant to be. And so how Which, can... Which, by the way, is nothing new under the sun. It's not. People have no. been doing what they thought was right in their own eyes since the beginning that's of time. very true. We think Bible. we're so genius about how we live now. Yeah. So in a loving way, how do you um, find the best way to... to we Kind of like we talked about the rock you know, scene earlier, but just overall in life, how can we stick out in this, this, um, this society that says if we say anything is wrong... We're being a hater. How right. can we actually make you a difference? This woke society. This woke that's society. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you just touched on a whole bunch of great things. Let, let, maybe let me start with, with this. Um, what the book is about, as you said, Awaken Alive to Truth. The reason that I wrote the book was because of this moral relativism. And it took me a little while, to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm not super genius. I believe me, it took me about three years of, of reading and studying 
from 2012 to 2015, I just felt like the earth, just earth shattering changes in society. And I, I really didn't understand what was going on. And at the end of that three years of studying, <clears throat> I had my light bulb moment. And I told my wife, I said, I said, all right, don't laugh at me. I've read 200 books, three years. And I finally figured out what is going on. And it's just the fact that we live in a post-truth society. We don't believe there is such thing as truth anymore at all. And I can't believe it took me three years to realize that, but it did. Mm. I never knew that anyone would actually believe such a thing. I thought that everyone agreed that there are things that are absolutely true for eternity. There are things that are absolutely moral. There are things that are absolutely immoral. I thought we all believed that, but we were just arguing about what they were. You know, I believe that Jesus is the truth. Uh, uh, John Doe believes that Allah is the truth. And then we argue about it and we philosophize and and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Uh, That took me a long time. And once I unlocked that in my brain, I began to see how that moral subjectivism, relativism, whatever you want to call it, which basically is just a really big word for, for saying that there, that all truth is relative. It can, you know, your truth, my truth, her truth, whatever she feels is right. I began to see how that moral relativism began to come into the church. And I began to see, oh, this is how people read the Bible. And, you know, under, I, I shouldn't say under, I should say, this is how people read the Bible through a lens of moral relativism. And this is why they go, well, Jesus did say that, but really what it could mean for me is Mm. A, B, or C. Then I began to see this is why we're messed up. And if we don't teach the absolute truth of the Word of God, then of course you're going to see Christians falling into sin, Christians going apostate, people who say they follow Jesus, yet they don't believe in the Bible. So things like that. I, I didn't know that was even a possibility. But I meet a lot of people in my business, even in the Christian music scene, to be honest. I meet a lot of Christian musicians that are like, oh, yeah, I'm really into Jesus. I, I, I'm not as into the Bible, but I really like uh, the ethical life of Jesus. And that really shocked me. So anyway, that's what the book is about. And, and if you were to ask me, then how do we love people like in this situation? I mean, one of the things we have to do a better job of is talking about the fact that Scripture is authoritative. And I think some of the reason that we have this society of acceptability, even within the church, that, hey, it's okay that you messed up. We all do. There's an acceptability because we have forgotten that God actually hates things. He hates sin. He hates sexual perversion. He hates lying. He hates pride. God hates these things. And as we conform more to Christ's image, then it makes sense that we should hate them in our own lives as well. But if we don't conform to his image, then we think that, that Jesus, yeah, he dislikes them. <laughs> yeah. But in reality, Jesus hates them in, in our own lives. I'm not talking about going out and telling other people that Jesus hates them. I'm talking about the sin in my own life, right? Yeah, right. So I think, I don't know if that's the starting place, but I hope that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it, it makes me wonder... Do you think right now that Christians need to be leery of trying too hard to relate to the non-Christian as opposed to 
Um, right. I don't even know what the opposite of that be to being the the authoritative but loving Christian. Yes. Is that what you? I, yeah. I know, okay. I actually know exactly what you mean. Yes. I, I, I sometimes I think I've said it in, in a few podcasts here, but I let me let me expand what I think you're asking and and answer my own opinion. I think uh, in 2000, 2002, 2004, I think that a, a bunch of good-hearted Christian leaders began seeing that we were losing the culture. And what they decided they wanted to do was to become hashtag relevant. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it started from a good place. I think for a lot of people, they wanted to be relevant to the world. We don't need to go in and start just like, you know, blasting everybody and saying things that are black and white. Let's allow nuance. Let's allow graciousness. Let's uh, allow, I love you for who you are. And then by winning people over, they will eventually come to Christ. And then the Holy Spirit will deal with those things. And we don't have to say them. I think that that looking back in history, I think that's what began to happen in the, Mm. you know, relevant movement. And what has happened now is that that we have become relevant to the world, but irrelevant for the gospel. Mm. Basically, all that we all that we want to do is basically just be friends with the world. We we don't want enemies. You know, we want to have peace with the world. We want to get along with the world. And I I understand why it's happened, but I think it's time for us, all of us, myself included, all of us, to look at ourselves and say, "Have I wanted peace with the world so much that I?" Have uh, that I have forgotten that I am actually enemies with the world. I think that that's the problem. We, if very testimony, um, gosh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. My thoughts are all running at the same time. Hang on, there's so much good stuff. Yeah, it's really, really good. I'm thinking about you know, I've I've read different uh, authors and sharing about how important our testimony is. At the same time, we become so obsessed with the testimony, and obviously that changes over your history of life. It's not like hey. I was freed from this and now it's over. I'm never going to have to face those problems again. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, I think it's interesting that so many of the times people are invited to come up at the pulpit, invited to share. This is what my struggle has been. And I think a certain amount of relate uh, uh, relatability is so huge and wonderful in a way that we can share it with people, but it's not the everything. It's always to point back to Christ. And, and, and I think allowing our scars to show is you're not saying the opposite of that. You could still be relating to people, but we have lost sight of the central point of our what we're trying to say, if that makes sense, is is always mm. to come back to Christ. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to say it. I, I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that, that, that I mean that we should, in all of our relationships— <laughs> start yelling at the people around us and, and telling them why they're sinful all the time. You mean like uh, my great I, aunt on Facebook. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But you're I saying think. let's be accountable. We can be empathetic because I've been there, man, but that's not okay. You know, the Holy Spirit. Well, I, yeah. Wants to grow. I, you. I think you're right. I, I think that there's probably for me personally, this is just where I'm at. I mean, this, like you said, this, this could change next year. This could change tomorrow, but where I'm at in these things is that I have personal relationships with people that do not want to know Christ. They don't even want to hear me talk anymore about Christ, but we are good friends and we have meals together and we have, you know, uh, uh, you know, Christmas parties together and we have coffee and, and I'm, 
you know, uh, n- n- not like a godfather to their kids, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm almost like Uncle John to their kids in a certain way and vice versa. And it's, it's, it's fun. I don't blast these people, but they absolutely know what I believe. And they know that they, they know that I don't approve of X, Y, or Z, but I'm still willing to be friends with them, even if they, you know, don't, don't do as I say kind of a thing. I think that that is very different than what we are to be teaching from the pulpit. And, and I think that that's, that's kind of where it comes, comes in to me is that I, I, I really just think we could be doing a clear job from the pulpit, from our leaders, and just saying, this is what the Word of God says, and, and there's no apologies about it. I think that's kind of more what I feel anyway. So uh, on an individual level, I think I think getting specific can can help sometimes because I, I think we're all going to have to gauge our individual situation of what type of people do we know? Yeah. Uh, how much do we actually even relate? Have we even gone through that struggle before? And then what conversations do we want to have and what lines uh, are we drawing specifically? So l- let's say, John, you're, you're with uh, some of your crew, uh, some friends that are staunch atheists, uh, and you're going to dinner with them. Uh, when that was a thing, when we went to dinner together <laughs> and uh, you, uh, you, would what you, that? what is, what is dinner going out for dinner? Um, would you pray before a meal with those people? Would you, if they brought up, say it was one of your guy friends and he's going to move in with his girlfriend, would you, what would you respond to that? Would you say, man, I think you're making a mistake. Would you say, I think you're making a mistake, but I'll help you move if you need help moving. Like what lines exactly would you draw in a specific instance like that of a dinner and a conversation that kind of played out like that? Well, that's wow. You guys are going for it, man. I like it. I've literally never been asked that question in my whole 23 years that I know of. I guess for me, and, and again, I, I'm, I, I'm not an authority on this. I'm just giving you my, my yeah. opinion, okay? Yeah. Um, my opinion would be, I don't see the point in, pers- this is just me personally, in intentionally offending people. And so, like, for instance, if we were having dinner together, uh, funny enough, most of my atheist friends, Let's see, if they, if they really hate what I believe, then they probably just don't want to be friends with me as opposed to the other way around. I don't mind being friends with them at all. Mm-hmm. But the atheist friends that I have are not so bothered by my Christianity that when I tell them, hey, I, I, heard, that your, your kid is, I heard that your kid is sick, and I, um, me and Corey wanted you to know that we prayed for him this morning, they always really appreciate that. It's almost like, like well, that can't hurt. You know, it's that, that mm-hmm. kind of a feeling. And they've never been offended by that. So if we were at a dinner and the meal was served and I said, hey, guys, I just want to pray for this, they wouldn't be bothered by that. But if they were bothered by that, then I would just do it silently. In other words, I don't have to make a big thing of it. I can just close my eyes and pray and people would be like, oh, okay, that's the, that's the thing that he does. You know, almost like if you're the Catholic friend that does the, uh, you know, the cross sign they do on their chest, mm-hmm. you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's not something that I do, but I'm not bothered if they do it. That's their own personal thing. So for me, it's like, I don't think it's an issue of I'm not eating this dinner unless I bless it <laughs> yeah. in front of everybody. That doesn't really, that to me, that doesn't bother me uh, in, in the least. But again, I think we have to understand that our faith may bother the other person to the point that they can't be friends with us because they see our faith as as you said, as hate speech, 
or as just hateful or totalitarian or something of that nature. But, but, but it doesn't come from me to them. If they, if they leave the friendship, it's on them and not me. Mm. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense of just leave it up to the, you be you, but leave it up to them and in the, in the process, be kind and gracious to them. I, that's how I view it. Now I will say going back to the earlier conversation, I wish we had somebody smarter than me here to say this, but I'll just say this. I do think that there's a difference with the, the unbeliever than, than with the believer. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I have had some relationships with Christian friends who have been just refused, refused to repent to God over things. Mm. You know, one of those things that I think of is somebody that I knew, he had, he had four kids and another kid on the way, and he was having an affair, and he left his pregnant wife for his new girlfriend. And he was still a Christian, and I just got to the point, I said, I just, I can't, I just can't hang out with you anymore. I just can't. Mm. That, to me, comes down to the, you know, the scripture about not associating with someone like this. Yeah. Uh, but that is for someone that is in the faith, and, and it's not that we don't associate them because— we hate them. We don't associate with them so that the Holy Spirit will convict them and that they will be brought back into the family of God, right, through repentance. Or that's what Paul says anyway in First Corinthians. So that is my understanding of that scripture, but I am not a theologian. That's just my—I'm throwing that out there. Man. Yeah, yeah, well, how do people become theologians? Anyway, you know, yeah, they read. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I honestly don't, I, I don't know the exact definition of a theologian, but I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't one. He just was theology. He just was the thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and so I well, don't know that I necessarily <laughs> want to be associated with a religious expert. I just want to be associated with Jesus. And I think that's, that's really, really good. And, and again, you've already made it super clear that the standard is going to change a little bit, not because of who you are, but because of who the other person is. So if another person is, uh, an associate of yours who is having an affair and is in that set of circumstances, they are not a believer. You're like, I cannot hold him to the standard of Christ because he's not assumed the new creation uh, yes. relationship with God. And that doesn't mean you're still okaying it, but um, I, I don't know. How do you manage that situation if you are friends with a person who's a non-believer and they may or may not come to you and say, hey, what do you think about this? Probably they wouldn't. Do you say right. anything at that <laughs> point or do you just let it slide? <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess I would just say, I suppose it's on a case by case basis. I, to me, the, the important thing to recognize, as you just mentioned, is the difference in the standard between someone who is, is a, a reprobate sinner and someone who is a new creation child of God. I think that's a really important uh, distinction. And it comes, that can come into an issue of, uh, you know, and, and again, in theology, I guess you call it church discipline almost, but that's almost like it's, it's, its own conversation. But in terms of the center, I mean, I will say this. I do know people because of my, my you know, my job. Mm -hmm. I do with a lot of paganistic <laughs> Uh, you know, unsaved rock people, yeah. most of which I, I get along with very well. There have been instances where their lifestyle is, is so offensive that I just can't hang out with them. It doesn't make me hate them. And maybe if I see them during the day, 
you know, we're catering together. We have a meal together and we laugh and we have fun. But, you know, when seven o'clock rolls around and they get involved in the things that, that they're involved in, that's not something I can hang out. Like, right. I can hang out while p- people are just involved in pornographic sin. I mean, that, I guess I just want to say that in case anybody misunderstands what I say. Sure. You know, that would be its own thing. And the very fact that I am unwilling to, to not only not participate, but to not be with them while they defile themselves, the fact that I am unwilling to be there already speaks the message, mm. in my view. Uh, John Cooper, lead singer of Skillet, uh, the podcast Cooper Stuff and the new book Awake and Alive to Truth. It says here uh, some of the most asked questions in this postmodern world. And we asked many of them uh, specific viewpoints and situations standing on absolute truth. So thank you for your time. I know you got to get to another one. Thank you for going late. I know. I know. Can I just ask one quick one? I if a 30 second favorite author, favorite (laughs) Christian author. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Was that not a quick question? You guys are asking me the best questions in the world. Let's okay. see. Woo! Um, okay. okay, number one, I would like to tell people there's only one place that you can buy my book uh, because I am self-publishing it. The quick version is this. This is true. <laughs> I had probably six or seven different publishers that all wanted to, to make a book with me. And when I sent them the book that I had written, None of them wanted to print it. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of them. I'm not being mean. They might be right. Maybe it's not something that will sell. But the, the reason is this. I believe that even in Christian publishing, what really sells are, are Christian self-help books. You know, Christian mm-hmm. books that say that God loves you the way you are. You can do anything. He's always for you. He understands your feelings. And I just wanted to write a book that was like, this isn't about you. This is about Christ. It is about seeing Christ glorified in the earth and in your life. And if you don't line yourself up with the Word of God, you are going to be miserable and you're going to be in chaos. Even if you're a Christian, if you don't line yourself up with the Word of God, you're going to, you're going to suffer on earth because you are out of alignment with Christ. So I wanted to make that book. So the reason I'm saying that is this. There's only one place you can get the book, and that is on my website, and that is johnlcooper.com slash awake. That'll take you straight to the book. johnlcooper.com is that. In terms of authors, I have a a pretty good friend who's a theologian called uh, Dr. James White, and I've really enjoyed uh, some of his books that I've read, and he's someone that I can call and say, in fact, he's the only person that's read my full book because I said, Will you make sure that I'm not in heresy? <laughs> you have to have one of those friends, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That's the last thing I'd want. But, but I will say, uh, other than that, I'm really a fan of older books. I'm a huge fan of a guy called Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ch- yeah, Chesterton was the precursor to C.S. Lewis. Mm. So I, I do like C.S. Lewis, but I think without Chesterton, there may not be a C.S. Lewis. So I'm a very big fan of Chesterton. And, um, and I, I got to tell you, if anybody loves reading the Bible, but you're not the smartest person in the world, if that's you, then you're just like me, by the way. And um, I have some, uh, an amazing commentary to tell you about uh, from a Puritan called Matthew Henry. So if you're ever reading a scripture 
and you don't want to know what it means, all you got to do is Google Matthew Henry commentary, and you read what this Puritan says about the Bible, and it is really, it's just really nurtured my soul. That is great stuff from John Cooper. Again, his book, Awake and Alive to Truth, kicking off this new year. So excited. You know, why don't we end this year with comments about Elvis? Elvis. Well, you're going from one rock and roll okay. guy to another. Yeah, very true. But I'm actually talking about a little guy named Elvis from Bolivia. And this is Hope Notes with Compassion International. So grateful for these guys and sponsoring our podcast. Um, Elvis is a little boy. He's seven years old, lives in Bolivia. And when he shared about Bible Day, now I don't think that's the name they call it, but it's this big day where they disperse all these Bibles. And he was really excited to have God's word in his hand. And you think about what we talked about today with John Cooper in regards to truth and having access to truth Mm. through God's word. He has literally been given promises right there in his little seven-year-old hands that we have access to all the time. Yeah, very true. And I have to be honest, have not grabbed hold of as much as I should on a daily basis, you know? And this little guy is so excited to get God's word in his hands because of folks that have sponsored him through Compassion International. Compassion is all around the world, and there's many countries like this where they'll have a, be able to have a Bible in the kids' language. Yes. Uh, and and not only that, the, the one that I saw Elvis holding, you know, it's 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 for kids, too. It's got little cartoons <gasps> on the front and stuff. And so you are putting God's Word in kids' hands all around the world. When you sponsor a child, it's $38 a month. Maybe that's something you want to think about for to start this year. Getting bold in faith means putting truth out there somewhere else. Uh, and so being able able to not only be an example for your family, but hey, now you can write to this child yes. and they can be a part of your family. You know, you can find out more about Compassion. We try to make it as easy as possible. Hopeondemand.com, same place where you're listening to this podcast for the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Tremendously changing the life of a child mm-hmm. throughout their, it, it, it's not just their life, it's the lives of the village that they live in and their family. And it, It's just such a huge impact for Christ. Hopeondemand.com. Of course, a lot of great resources there as well. But uh, this Anything But Quiet Time podcast, powered by Compassion International. Again, hopeondemand.com to find out more.